Hello, everyone, and welcome to Analytical Fanboys. I am, of course, one of your hosts, Simeon Scott, and I am joined, as always, by the aggressive Chris Gaston. How are you doing, sir? Um, what in the fight, I guess, apparently? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm put, you, you just, you're one of those guys who never got over during the Ruthless Aggression era, is, is your <laughs> script for this episode. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's that's the joke. Okay, that's the direction we're going. Okay. Yeah, in this in this fucking episode, I make a wrestling reference. Uh, have you noticed that how I've gone from like zero to sixty on the wrestling references in the last two months? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost uh, as if you have like a a thing that costs nine ninety nine and has a bunch of classic episodes of wrestling. I don't have that thing anymore, but WWE sure wants me to have that thing again. Hey, did you know well, Elimination Chamber's for... coming? Hey, did you know Elimination Chamber's coming? Hey, okay. did you know you get it for free? Did you know? Did, did, did you? Did you? Did you? Here's 50 fucking emails about it. Other than fucking the whole Ali situation, I'm super excited for Elimination Chamber. I am too, and you can hear us talk about it this month on MMWP. <laughs> And advert. <laughs> so uh, this month we're going to be talking about in a five-issue independent mini-series from I believe this was published by Dark Horse. Uh, Image. Image, yes, of course. Um, it is called Infidel, and it is written by Pornsack Pichet. Pichet. I'm not touching that last name. And it's drawn by Pichetchote. Sorry. Pichetchote. Ah. And it is drawn by Aaron Campbell. And oh boy, this this was certainly interesting, um, especially because this was my only my second time reading it. I put this on the list after I read it as it came out, and just absolutely loved it. And was like, this is, is going to make such a such an interesting and dynamic discussion. And I went back to read this, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a minefield of a discussion, especially since, um, well, I'll just go ahead and say it. This comic deals with a lot of social issues that are going on today, and uh, I'm a cis white guy, and I've got another cis white guy here to, uh, to, to talk with me about it. Cis white guy number two, what do you think of this book since it was your first time reading it? Um. A little known fact about me is I'm a fan of horror, but I do but I do not seek out horror flicks. Really? Basically the best the best way to put it is I will really enjoy specific horror movies that are put in front of me and told, watch this. Hmm. If that does not happen to me, I'm not gonna go out of my way to watch it. But some of my favorite movies are Predator, Alien. I loved for, uh, Friday Night, uh, not Friday, the, the Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, from what I've seen of Halloween is fun. Uh, Evil Dead, all that kind of stuff. I love that kind of shit. In this, in this kind of shit too. So this is probably one of my favorite comic books right now. Really, I really, really, really enjoyed this. Well, that's that's awesome to hear. Okay, I think that's the first time I've gotten a reaction like that from you. Oh yeah, I mean, it's the best way to put it is it's not perfect, but it's the perfect. I don't want to say B movie because that has a connotation, but it's it is the perfect B grade. If this was like a test, yeah, because there were some things there were some things that I kind of was like, eh, eh. Hmm. Well, that's interesting, and I mean the the thing about this with me is just like. Horror comics are exceedingly rare, and good horror comics are even rarer, because most of the time they're tie-ins to existing franchises that don't work all that well, and when you do an original project, it, it rarely um, gets successful or gets any kind of notoriety to it. This kind of came out, and right away was a thing a lot of people were talking about and were kind of interested in who were already into indie books, and it, it, it's not kind of gone out of those circles a whole lot yet, but um, I feel like it's probably one of the most well-regarded books that came out last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I can definitely see that. I, I haven't been keeping up with the, the review and critic sphere of comic books. But even when you say it's like an indie book, it's not like published out of some uh, basement uh, publisher out of fucking New Jersey. It's it's upper, it's upper echelon indie. Because people consider any, and I'm guilty of this too, people consider anything that isn't Marvel or DC to be an indie comic. Yeah, see, I, I'm much more of the I'm much more of the belief that we have five major companies in, of comic books in America: Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse, uh, IDW. I would say Boom Studios is getting up there too. Yeah, but I think Boom is got, Boom is Boom is trying to box God with IDW. <laughs> yeah, and uh, depending take on a how certain. Yeah. Depending on how certain contracts with Hasbro go, that's either going to go great for them or terribly. I'm always under the impression that Hasbro owns part of IDW. Hmm. So, are you one of those people who's in the camp that says, for sure, as soon as the the contract is up, um, Power Rangers comics are going to IDW? I think they're going to keep the team. Hmm. Similar to how... Uh... Similar to how Transformers were on Dreamwave, and then IDW happened, and they just kept a lot of the same team. That could be interesting, though. And this is this is neither here nor there when it comes to this discussion. But Power Rangers comics have been kind of weird, where there's no like consistent continuity. It's just a person gets a book and a run, and they do whatever the heck they like, and only kind of tie it in with the other books. You know what? I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that for a comic universe. Mm. I wish I wish more people would try that at least. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm I'm gonna get off of this real quick. I promise. People who actually came here to hear us talk about Infidel, but like, all two of you. With what with what's going on in Go Go right now, I really don't see how it's a, a prequel to Higgins's MMPR run. It, it feels like an entirely separate universe already, even though there's a scene in Higgins's MMPR run where they reference Matt and, it, and it's made to be like a big deal. Yeah. Um, but not talking about our Hasbro overlords because they've just been pillaging the figment of the idea of my wallet. Yeah. <laughs> Toy Fair is going on the weekend we're recording this, by the way. Oh, God. The fucking Ecto-1 Transformer. Oh, so you're into that? Oh, dude, it's Ghostbusters and Transformer on a mold that's actually good? It's not for me, but that's also because I'm not much of a Ghostbusters guy. I think I've told you this story once. There was one summer, I just watched Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters 2 on repeat all day. Yeah, I think you have told me about that. Yeah, I'm that guy. Hmm. Uh, but uh, let's talk about... Uh, but speaking of Ghostbusters... Yes, there's ghost busting in this comic. Well, there's there's ghost exploding at the very least in the last episode. And a direct reference to Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's right. I almost forgot about that. There's some yeah, cool yeah. pop culture references in this that feel totally natural and like aren't just like, here is current thing. Let's talk about. No, it's fucking 30 year old films that people this age would be talking about and referencing as like one of their favorites. Yeah, but it was also more of like a reference to um, the buildup of spiritual energy and all this kind of stuff, and he was describing what this old occultist had, had just, it, it was a side character describing what this old occultist had done, and like, he got to the end of it, and the uh, uh, two side characters go like, you mean Ghostbusters? And he was like, yep, Ghostbusters! I was a complete and, idiot kid, can't believe I believed in all of that. It's like, dude, you may have potentially summoned an actual demon. Yeah. And I love that they never go there. The side characters never say that to him. It's just like implied that they're thinking that, but they don't have the heart to tell him. Because like, how could you say that? How how would you bring that up to someone? Like, you summon demons in my apartment complex, and we're currently trying to figure out how to get rid of them. Not just demons. Racist demons. Yeah. (laughs) 
I mean, if they were egalitarian, I'd be all like, it's a, it's okay, fine. But like racist demons, who boy, who racist. announced their presence by literally saying "bitch hunt, bitch cunt whore." <laughs> Bitch, cunt, whore. I think I may have read in like one of the scribbles that the ghosts were talking about was like Scarfhead. Yeah, I caught that too. That. Um, so. It, do you want to just jump into it? Because I mean, like, that is the bulk of what makes me interested in this book is. Should we give a brief? A- should we give the briefest summary? Because we've been kind of. We've been just talking around it, not of it. Okay, so um, a young adult Muslim woman is uh, living in an apartment complex with her husband and stepdaughter and her mother-in-law, and she's having these really freaky dreams, doesn't know exactly what's going on, and she has reason to believe they might be real. Suddenly she starts seeing ghosts and things manifesting in the real world, and they start causing all kinds of issues in her life. Well, she's also dealing with regular life issues, and things kind of escalate from there. Yeah. A big point of thing I want to mention, the ghosts really only show up during moments of perceived racial tension. Yeah. And I, and I think that's that's kind of, like, intentional on the writer's part. It's very much... Oh, no, no, no. They are metaphor. They are metaphor for the underlying subconscious racist thoughts that people have that that they brush off and like no no i don't really believe that i'm not i'm not racist Mm -hmm. it's less the over get out of my country racism this book is talking about it's more of the underlying to give a idea of a quote goddamn terrorist getting into my neighborhood wait no wait a second they're just islamic i'm being an asshole it's that racist thought that unless you actually confront it instead of just ignoring it, confess her. And I think that's kind of the message the book is getting at at its core, which I really like is that there's very few people who are actually racist. It's just we're all raised in a certain way that gives us certain inherent biases that are just always going to be there because of the way the human brain develops. And it's our responsibility to occasionally say, no, that's not right. I shouldn't say that. You know, you got to have a filter on your mouth, so to speak. Yeah, and you got to be able to confront, okay, why did that thought pop in my head? Mm-hmm. And figure that shit out. Because the people who have went through that process, um, which a lot of them are uh, minority people, in the book, see the ghosts as what they are, and they're there, and it's like, oh shit, this is scary. But the people who haven't, who just like push that thought to the side and go like, I don't really believe that I am, but I'm a better person now. Don't see them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like how it's really interesting that the first person who starts seeing the ghosts is the character in the book that people constantly talk about. She's always trying to see the good in people. She's always the nicest, most compassionate person in the room because really for people like that, that is your worst fear that, no, I am wrong. Every, everybody else is, especially in today's world, like, I am generally a guy who tries to think better of people. There, There's really two types of people. People who think people are inherently good and people who think people are inherently evil. I tend to swing towards the inherently good side of the scale, obviously, because I'm a guy who fucking loves superheroes. Yeah. Um, and there's always that thought in the back of your head of no, maybe I'm, I'm the one who's wrong. Maybe the, maybe the reason so many people are caught up in these discussions nowadays, and it seems like it's the only thing people who aren't me can talk about is because it really is the thing I should be talking about. And I should be think thinking about this more consciously. And I won't lie. I have days like that, but more often than not, I do like to, to kind of brush this sort of discussion off and sort of leave it by the side and say, no, that doesn't matter. Like I, I'm going a lot into personal politics here, but I'm, I kind of see myself at my core as an individualist. I take every person for what they are. Now that doesn't mean I can't look at 
a group whole and spot similarities between certain people, but it mean I also don't let that completely color my judgment ever. Yeah. I'm I'm much more of a belief that the inner core of people are extremely good, but it's covered in just the shit of life, and you got to be able to. There are some people who where the where that covering is a lot less, and those are good people to be around. <laughs> it's much nicer, but there are some where it's just covered, and you either got to be willing to clean it, help them clean it. Tell them, yo, your shit's kind of shitty, and I hope they clean it and all that kind of stuff. Is, uh, it's much, I believe, much more in like a yin yangy of the world. Mm. Yeah, but but this book is just you know what this thing about it. It kind of kind of indirectly reminds me of what Devil Man. Really? I, I haven't I've only heard things about Devilman. It's it's something I've gotta go and read at some point. Uh how so does it remind you of that? Well, I'm more specifically talking about the original comic, the original manga. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I mean. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Because well, because everybody's talking about Crybaby now. And even though it adapts pretty much everything in the manga, I still really, really enjoy the manga <laughs> the original manga version. Hmm. Uh, but basically, the whole point of the demons isn't, oh, demons, they're a metaphor for the Vietnam War and how uh, violence can infect people's minds and make them afraid. Hmm. And, 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 and in a very similar way, violence infects the people of the apartment's minds and make them afraid of just general concepts to the point where... It, as as the twist happens at the uh, end of the book, the person they thought planted all the bombs and caused all the mayhem kind of didn't. It was a couple racist white yuppies saying he's not even racist, but partially racist. It's like the best way to put it is racist. The racism was kind of the sprinkles on top. It, it's the edge of racism, if you will. Yeah, yeah, because they were because there was an Islamic former teacher who got fired, and he was being uh, um, the best way to put it, it was probably um, his mental faculties weren't all there, whether due to stress, depression, uh, mental illness. It was never quite stated in the comic. We never really quite meet this character, but these two got two characters get a couple old people. And they're all going like, ah, oh, everybody's a little bit racist. I mean, the Korean dad, uh, the Korean dad next door, fucking talked about black thugs taking his job, and he doesn't realize I speak Korean. And it's like, okay, and it, 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 it's, that's an interesting thing because people don't normally think of uh, interminority racism because the topic of racism is always. Hey, white people, you shouldn't say the N-word equivalents. Mm-hmm. But you never think about, oh yeah, there is there is a racism there. There's a racism of Japan that never gets talked about within anime communities. Because like it's, the it's... the Mr. Popo racism, essentially. Mm-hmm. Or like the where other cultures that... have Older cultures have taboos that Japan just doesn't know about, and so they just do it, and everybody goes like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And they go like, "Wait, what? Did we fuck up? Oh shit!" Or like the fact that Toei, for several years during the late two thousands, had one black actor who they would just have play a random human form of a monster in Sentai and Rider every year, and that was it. Other yeah, than that, yeah. it was all Asian people. Until like Go Busters, where the leader was a black man, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. But like, it, it, it's, and it, it's it's nice that a book about the That's underlying. That's Lupin v. Patter Ranger. Oh right, I thought it was Go Busters. Shit. Yeah. Uh, hey, they both involved special operative crime fighty things. Yeah, I, I was thinking. I had to think about it for a few minutes, and from. 
every black Sentai fan I talk to about are like, Hilltop is so stupid, I hate him. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you ever talk to Gingerherb about Hilltop, he'll just go off on that guy like crazy. It's wonderful. Um, but essentially, these two yuppies are messing with this dude's stuff, and something explodes. Now, did the dude intend for it to be a bomb? Or did the dude intend for it to be something else and he just forgot about it? Who knows? That's not the point. It's the point is their reactions to him caused the explosion that basically killed them, the racist old people, the guy himself, and the Korean family, I think, too. Killed a lot of people. They're never mentioned again, so I assume they did. Um... And Basically, kind of, actually, I think in either the first or second issue, they say everyone on that floor died. Yeah, so they were on the floor. Mm-hmm. But essentially, they coalesce in a malicious spirit that the last book fucking goes like, maybe it was a jinn, which is a thing. Uh, maybe it was like a Japanese evil spirit. Who knows? It doesn't matter is the fact that hate started this whole thing and just continues to infect and fester people like even one of the uh group of friends that seemed really pretty cool later on basically went like you know those people and it's like did you just those people mm-hmm. and there's a lot of a lot of interesting scenes like that where a lot of the dialogue when they're discussing issues of race and stuff in this book feels so realistic to me because it's that thing of where, like, at the beginning, I understand where you're coming from. I'm somewhat with you. And then there's always that little swerve where you're no longer with what that character is saying. Like, um, um, even Tom, uh, the husband, fiance dude, to yeah. our main character, um, kind of coddled a little bit like he like he was so worried of he was coddling and white knighting so hard literally the way we're introduced to him is him yelling at his mom to check her freaking privilege yelling at his mom for possibly or maliciously forgetting that uh pork is not um what's the islamic kosher I don't is know. it halal? No, because he said pork isn't harem. Harem is against it. I'm trying to remember what it, the good stuff is. I'll be honest. I don't know a lot about most religions. Uh, oh, I don't know a lot about Christianity, and I was a Christian up until I was like 17 years old. Uh, if you didn't know much about Christianity, you were in Christian. You were told to be Christian. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, same, same way my my mom uh, used to say, oh, yeah, yeah, um, we're Presbyterian. And mm. I was like, are we? <laughs> when did that happen? Did I miss that meeting? No, because it, she says that because my family, uh, because my family's always gone to Presbyterian churches. My aunts do, my, uh, my aunts and uncles do, my grandma does, uh, her mother did, so on and so forth. But... My generation, I just didn't go. We never did. So when she was like, oh, yeah, we're Presbyterian, I was like, are we? <laughs> okay. Uh, but don't don't my other grandparents go to a Methodist? Yeah, but they used to go to a Presbyterian church. What the fuck does it matter? One starts with a P, one starts with an M. Yeah. And, hell, and I even, really interesting, especially hell, I even looked up and researched both Presbyterian and, I think, Methodist? I have to I have to go back and research again. We're descendant uh we're offshoots of uh a ethno-religious group of Christianity called the Huguenots that the were fuck? like massacred in France in the 1500s, fled to all over Europe. That's why I have mostly Scottish blood even though my last name is goddamn French. The Huguenots Sounds like the name of a children's video game. Like, like it has that same sort of feel as Kerbal Space Program. I, I, I get that feel. I get that feel. <sighs> Religions. Well, Weird. 
Yeah, and it also leads back into this book where the main character's sort of relationship with her mother, which is constantly referenced but never really addressed until the final (laughs) issue, where she was often forced to sort of remain very strictly to their religion because it's because her mother was very much about those traditions and fundamentalist islamic yeah and she and she was much more i don't want to say casual or like loose with with the way she practiced her religion it's just she had a different way of doing it that didn't line up with her parents i I don't want to speak for islamic people again Mm -hmm. my mom always said i was presbyterian uh but it seemed much more of like a modern modern version of islam uh, of uh islam you know just some more modern yeah he still pray five times a day but but you don't need to wear your headscarf all the time it's okay mm-hmm. um it, it seems much more like the mustafa ali islam if you get my <laughs> i want that sounds like a book he'd write the mustafa ali islam Coming this summer from WWE Publishing. <laughs> Get on it, Vinnie Mac. God damn it. Anyways, um, so we've been talking quite a bit about the story, and we've touched a little on the characters, but not so much on the art. How did you feel about the art in this book? Uh, the, the ghost designs, when it got spoopy... When it got spoopy, really good design, really good thing. But when it was less spoopy, it still had an edge of spoopy, which is good. I I don't I don't I know I'm talking like it this sounds like I'm leading to a butt, but I don't think I have a butt. It's just it it works, but it's not exactly for you. It works, right. but I think there's I think there's like a piece missing that would have nailed it out of the park for me hmm. it's a three bases in it's three bases they got three bases oh amazing but it's one base short of a home run see i think i'm kind of there too but i'm also but i'm not as like yeah as you are i'm i'm more like yeah it's it's really good it's really i think solid. i was more saying like and eh, just because i was trying to parse out the information and it was like what's the noise that best fits it eh, no oh Uh. (laughs) yeah that's fair and i mean like one of the things that just impressed me is like aaron campbell shows a real knowledge of how comic structure works in this where there's some great page turn like spook reveals um which is basically the comic book equivalent of a jump scare but it's much more classy than a jump scare because it's not just oh we're talking very quiet. Lord noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more of like a. It's more. It's not a jump scare. It's a boop scare. Yeah, kinda. And uh, like, I'm trying to. It's a to hop scare. Of, yeah, yeah. That's a great term for it. And they all work really well in this comic because he he isn't just constantly doing them. There's like one an issue maybe there there's an issue without any and and it always feels really well earned where like we've gotten pretty comfortable we've had this long dialogue scene of parsing out some issues with the characters right now this character is going to do something else and bam we're in monster territory i know what it is that bugs me about the art because i'm looking back over some of the art okay it's the it's the way that they drew textures in this slightly chalky texture uh, really? Shadows into slightly chalky texture. I wish it was a little bit more solid. Huh. I didn't mind that so much, but I, I, I can see why it would bug you. It's, it's not the best horror aesthetic, but it's a it's a pretty obvious one to go to for comics. I, I, I don't mind it during when like things are like relaxed, like they're in the hospital, things aren't spoopy ha- happening, and it does go deeper darker shadows more uh more intense shadows i think something about the texture just it feels dirty but not in a deliberate way you know what i mean 
it feels like they were using the texture because they were going for like a, oh, we want this to be kind of, kind of, uh, we want this to have something of a grime uh, uh, to to the world that we're trying to convey. But it feels like it may need like another, like something else. That's fair. Um, I want to say I do also really like how when they're doing flashbacks, they use that aesthetic of childhood drawing. Like that's been a really recent sort of trend in comics that I think started either last year or the year before that. And and it's it's a really good trick in my opinion. Yeah. And it's a good way of also showing how long uh, the two main female characters have been friends. Because mm-hmm. you could just assume, like, oh, they met in college, whatever, it's a horror movie, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, but no, they've been friends since childhood because their mothers went to the same mosque. And there, there's a lot of interesting juxtaposition with that, especially because um, one of uh, the other character is an atheist now and there's a actually really strong scene um i forget what issue it is but they're talking about how um that person is an atheist but all of her friends are religious and she feels like oh i'm just a glutton for punishment and kind of pointing out the idea behind the book the main character says no, that's perfectly natural. You've been a you were religious as a child and your parents were religious, so there's a part of your brain that still associates religion with love. Yeah. Which is it's just different and it's just understanding how different people be. Yeah. Like like even though she behaved in an abhorrent manner in the past, it feels very much like the grandma genuinely wanted to be better. Yeah. Um because like the she's working with uh um the, the Muslim stepmom to and the the granddaughter to build Star Wars themed cakes. Yeah, which is adorable. Yeah, and like yeah, she makes the uh, the comment about pork um and and when she realizes like oh shit, right. But the but her son just blows up and goes like, "What the fuck, mom?" Because he's and, still hung up on, "I want to protect the woman I love," even though she could probably protect herself. And you know what? That made me think of a whole fucking lot. Um, people, transgendered people. And people who are friends of transgendered people yelling about getting their pronouns right when transgendered people, and I'm not saying this is all transgender people, I'm um, just saying transgender people I have encountered will say sometimes to people, it's okay, pronouns are tricky, I know, I've been through this a lot. Yeah. And just for future reference, I've read and heard several places, transgendered kind of is a little iffy, just transgender. Hmm, okay. Yeah. And there you go. This that that's basically the equivalent of what should happen. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's like oh hey, that's a little iffy. The best uh, the best fucking the best fucking uh, example and explanation for this how you should act and behave. I read on Twitter once. I think it was Nash from formerly of that two guys collective. Did yeah, that. yeah. He's he's coming back and doing awesome stuff. The radio dead air guy. Yeah, yeah, but he either tweeted out or retweeted something, and it was basically the equivalent of, hey, if I point out that you just said something racist, I'm not calling you racist. It's the equivalent of pointing out that your fly is down and telling you to shape, basically telling you so you don't embarrass yourself. I'm not calling you a flasher. Hmm. It's basically, hey... I'm warning you so you can pull your fly up. Not so you can go like, oh yeah, pull your pants down and just show your dick. Yeah. That's that's the mindset. Um, and like, 
I I feel like I'm a little bit more used to being in that mindset because uh, one of my best friends in high school was a trans man. And you're also just a way more social guy than I am. <laughs> yeah, but like I'm used to going through that mindset of, all right, cool. Like I like I'm even used to knowing how to use my own goddamn privilege to help other people. Like, and that's a skill that a lot of pr- people who have a certain amount of certain amounts of privilege just don't know how to do, like how to use. Hmm. You know what I mean when I say use your privilege? Yeah. It's, it's like, oh, you see someone being a racist asshole to someone, you step up and go like, hey, no, man. Hey, fellow white person, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, very very much so. Uh, but like, I, to keep going with this example, in high school, we were in lunch line, um, and a fucking asshole chick in front of us just looked behind me and my friend uh and looked at me and said like you know that person's a girl right and i was like i looked over to my friend and i was like no he's seth hmm. just like that no he's a dude he's seth and it's like completely shut her down and i was like okay that's how you, and that's how you do it it's just like no fuck you yeah because I didn't need to go to bat for him. It was just more of like, nope, I'm just going to shut you up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they addressed you, not the other person. So it wasn't like you were being the husband in this book and coming in and shouting, hey, motherfucker, don't do that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, it's very interesting now, even the husband kind of got possessed by the race go- racism ghost. Yeah, because at the end, he just starts trying to kill the black lady because he thinks she might have be she might have killed his friends yeah and 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 he's going and i say racism goes he's much more on the pure adrenaline i've been up for five days do and i am on edge and i've been for some traumatic shit yeah and he's lashing out and the racism ghost goes like hey cool negative emotion let me pick on that Mm mm-hmm so I don't. I wouldn't say the husband turns into a racist at the end. It's just racists can easily. That's a good metaphor. Racism can easily take advantage of very negative emotions. Mm-hmm. And I know probably for this whole podcast, I've sounded like I'm just constantly bagging on this husband character. Like there are good things about him. He does seem to genuinely love and care for the main character, and he does seem him like a pretty good dad and husband it's just like that area where he's kind of sucky um yeah. i mean and even then it, even when uh the main character confronts him about it he goes like yeah yeah uh yeah i know but it's just i i just don't want you to go through that and it's like okay i under like i get you dude i understand And he keeps trying to, like, say stuff like, my mom's not racist, she's manipulative. And I feel like everybody says that about their parents. I feel like everybody feels on some level my parents are manipulative because they fucking raised me and a lot of what they did informs my personality. Yeah. Like, whenever I hear somebody talk negatively about their parents, they always go to... Well, they're really manipulative, and it's hard to be around them because I can see it now. So, like, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say my parents are manipulative. First off, my dad's never fucking talks to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, my family has a thing with sons not talking to their dads. It's funny, huh? <laughs> no, no, I don't talk to my dad. My dad doesn't talk to his dad. I don't think my hey, my grandfather talked to his dad. What the. F- Dude, you're going to have to explain this off mic. I, it, it's, a variety, it's a variety of things. Um, okay. <laughs> like, I think each situation's a little bit different, so it's not exactly one-to-one on any of them. It's just more of like, it's a weird bunch of coincidences. Okay. Um, but my mom's less passive. My mom's less manipulative. She's more, like, mm-hmm. passive-aggressive. 
Yeah, moms can kind of be that way. And see, but there like I go. Very, in like a weird passive aggressive way. It's not like, oh, like it's not the weird guilt trippy thing. It's much more of the, why didn't you do this? I forgot. You always forget. Yeah, it kind of happens with ADHD. And she goes like, you're too old for that to be an excuse. And it's like, bitch. Mm-hmm. Who's the one who put me on a short bus? <laughs> that kind of thing does not just disappear. Mm-hmm. Or like, um, okay, great example using a piece of media that we both love. Um, there, the episode of Doctor Who, uh, Partners in Crime, where um, Donna comes home after like a day of investigating a bunch of shit, trying to find the doctor, and her mom just starts going off on her the minute she gets in the door of like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you looking for a job? Why, why did you quit that job? Why did you blah, 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 blah. And it's like meant to, they play it like it goes on for like an hour or so. And she's just sitting at the dining room table with a drink, letting it happen. Ooh, I felt that scene really hard. That is, that is a thing that moms just kind of tend to do because they worry about you and they want you to do good in life. And if you're not doing good in the way they perceive doing good to normally be there's a reason there's a stereotype of moms nagging yeah yeah but um, and that could also be like another like underlying theme of this book is motherhood yeah because there's a lot of a lot of really good stuff with the uh the main character and her stepdaughter where she there's like this great monologue where she talks about oh, i really wasn't sure about being a stepmom and then there's these moments where i'm reading to her while she's trying to fall asleep and it all just clicks and it's like that's that's super wholesome and nice it's nice to see that in this comic about grotesque grotesque racist monster ghosts attacking people <laughs> And in another similar way, it's the main character having to deal with, okay, maybe I should ask my mom for help for lawyers and such. Mm-hmm. And it's the grandmother realizing that she over, she over, uh, uh, she went over, what's the goddamn She word? overreacted. Yeah, that's the one. When uh, the stepdaughter uh, was just messing around with one of the main character's headscarves. And she was like, yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, it's a lot of like understanding coming to terms. It's neat. It's it's really interesting how this comic is kind of showing a lot of people at their worst points, but it's also very much about people do have bad points in their life, but people are also these creatures that grow and change and can get better as they go on in life. And that means things won't always be as bad as they are right now. Like, as much as this is a straight-up horror comic, it has a very hopeful message to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you want to forget the final panel of the two white brothers trying to rebuild the racist ghost house. Yeah, I think that's actually my least favorite part of the comic because it just felt like the obligatory, well, this could be a franchise, so we have to put some sequel belt bait in here that all modern horror has. I think it's much more I think it's more of like the mentality of race like the like the racist moment has passed or has been solved and like, okay, cool. This person's no longer racist great they've grown and they've changed or this person's uh, has escaped this situation good the change but inevitably there's gonna be some rich white asshole dudes that are gonna just feed it and i say that more as a metaphor for this direct panel yeah and that's fair but I, I I don't know. It just it it rubs me kind of the wrong way. But then again, I'm also not that much of a horror guy. I I horror is one of those things where when it's good, it's extremely good. When it's not good, I cannot stand horror. It's not my thing at all. Yeah, like I'm much less of a like 
The horror movies I really like are like Alien, Predator, Tremors. Um, well, what? I'm and I'm like a guy who really likes Psycho and um, freaking Freddy's New Nightmare and stuff like that. And I went, I saw um cabin in the woods and i said this is amazing this is the most revolutionary thing to happen in horror in years this wasn't successful oh but shit like amityville horror is this is why horror fans are idiots i I was that guy a few years ago yeah All right. Uh, well, is there there anything else you want to talk about? Because we've gone, we've run quite the gambit on this story. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. Just the variety of side characters they have. I like to do with the thin mustache, who was like a genuinely nice dude trying to help and solve the mystery. Mm-hmm. And even even though he got jacked and killed, it's like, oh, yeah. that's sad. Um. I also really like how in issue three, there's a couple scenes that felt very like, I don't want to say viewpoint reaffirming, but they felt very much like this is directly how I perceive the world where there's the lady who saw the main character push her, uh, her mother-in-law and her stepdaughter down the stairs And the friend goes, and she's like, why are you such a racist? Why did you accuse my friend of murder? And she's like, I didn't accuse her of murder. I just said I saw what might have been her pushing down the stairs. I don't know that that's what it was. That's just what I saw in the best way I can describe it. Even though she's like a really obvious 27 white chick who talks about how she can't keep, she can't control herself in a Whole Foods. Yeah, and like the panel where they're having that conversation, um, uh, she she's looking like, like, like she stepped in a like uh, like a deer in the headlights when she goes, "You're you're Muslim." Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, second main character girl says, "Yeah," and uh, basic Betty says, "You're friends with the girl upstairs, aren't you? Uh, aren't you the Arab?" And basically, the other main character, the other main female character, just like shuts that down. That whole generalization of people mentality is like, you mean the Pakistani American girl from Jersey? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, no, she may look a certain way, but doesn't mean shit. Where it's like, this was a nice, well-meaning person, but they they overstepped in a certain way. And and she even responds in the most defensive, like, kind of like the way it's the excuse me, are you calling me racist? Because fuck you. And it's like, bitch, she didn't call you racist. She just said this was fucked up that you what you did. Mm-hmm. But it's also really natural that she would have that reaction because these days white people are kind of always on edge about being called racist be because it's there's a lot of people who say racist shit and are white and so it feels like everybody else has to kind of raise their level and be on guard more and then when you're aren't you're like no no not me i i do good like that's the natural reaction of i can't be the bad guy but his book is very much about like you have to be able to confront confront that. that and go well if i'm not the bad guy why did I say this and why shouldn't I say it again? Or why should I say it in a different, less bad way? I, I, if I'm not the bad guy, why am I being called the bad guy? It's that it's like that one scene from that British comedy that is that's a gif everywhere of the guy in the skull hat with the the hat with the skull on it and the metal skulls on his uh, uh, military jacket, and it's just like, are we the baddies? Yeah. Or, um, oh, I completely forgot what comedian it was. I, I literally had him in his head while you were saying the are we the baddies thing. But uh, there's a there's a comedian somewhere who said, like, if your friends call you 
an asshole. That is not the point where you get defensive and start going, what the fuck, I'm not an asshole. That is where, that is when you immediately go, oh shit, okay, I I guess, right. Because your friends are the people who know you your best. So if your friends say you're being an asshole, that that is a like giant red flag right there. Unless you like are in the middle of banter and you go like, you fucking asshole. That's the uh-huh. difference. There's a difference between you fucking asshole and dude, you're being an asshole. Yeah. Um, and then there's another conversation, like just a couple pages later in that book, where um, Finn Mustache guy and uh, Bearded guy are. I'm not. I'm sorry. We can't remember any character names in this podcast. I'm sure the it's only character name I remember is the husband, and his name is Tom. I remember. I remember the stepdaughter's name, Chris, <laughs> with a K. K-R-I-S. Yeah. Um, but there's a scene where those two are talking about how, like, he had a whole conversation... Um, Finn Mustache guy had a whole conversation about one of his friends in college was racist or not because she was only attracted to white guys. And it kind of gets into that whole thing of, like, this is stuff that I think of in the back of my mind all the time, is if you're not attracted to a person of a certain race, sexually speaking... Does that make you a racist? Where is the line there? And the truth is, the line doesn't fucking exist. It depends on who you are and how you feel about those kind of things. And it also depends on how you behave with it. Mm -hmm. A little bit. If you go like, I don't date black guys, it's like, no, that's fucking racist. Mm -hmm. But if it's like, oh yeah, I just never really found one I'm attracted to, it's like, oh, okay. Let's wiggle room there. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's just, it's, there's some really strong, relatable conversations in this book. And that, that's part of what really made me fall in love with it. Yeah. So, you know what? I just want to briefly mention about the ghost designs. What? Because they're very, they're very spoopy, very creepy, but it feels like a, uh, like, um, like someone stepped into a time lapse photo and got repeatedly photographed over and over again and made that you know what I'm talking about? Kinda, yeah. A like lot, a lot ma- of the expressions in this book in general also just really look like snapshots. It because it, it very much feels like it's like uh like what we're looking at is a spirit moving across time and it's just photographed several the same spirit three different times and molded it together and it looks horrifying but that's because it's like overlaid on top of each other and it's just it's a nice design for a ghost Mm -hmm. yeah i just wanted to briefly mention that like i i'm also just i'm look i'm scrolling through some panels of the ghost right now and i'm I'm really thinking, like, it's a pretty original thing, too, and, like, that's rare to say about horror. Like, I've I've not seen designs that look too terribly much like this, especially with the sort of chalky filter everything has over it. It gives, this, it, gives it this very unique and sort of dirty, grimy, eerie feel. Yeah. It's just a nice, it's a nice way to design a ghost. Because yeah. you're you're used to seeing like the fuzzy shape kind of ghost or things like that, or or if like you watch or read a lot of Japanese horror, you're used to that the ring style ghost, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It's just a nice different way of presenting an otherworldly creature that I don't necessarily want to see all the time, but it's nice to see here. Yeah. Um. So. Is is there anything else you want to really touch on? Because, like, like I said a little bit earlier, I feel like we're we're kind of starting to scratch the bottom of the barrel as far as stuff to discuss here. Um, I really enjoyed the book. I recommend everybody give it at least a go. Um, if you are very one of those kind of people that's very much, God, another story about race and America. Mm-hmm. First off, fuck off. But second off, give the book a read anyway, because you need to be fucking educated. 
And, and that's something I do like about this book is that is generally my reaction to a lot of those stories nowadays because, and here's the big, big but with that, it's a lot of stories that deal with race these days feel very much somebody getting on a soapbox and screaming, this is how everyone should feel borderline. I'm, everybody needs to agree with me on these issues exactly. This feels like here's just a realistic depiction of the world we're in now and some characters with varying degrees of extreme or not so extreme viewpoints in relation to it. You make your own judgment calls, um, but also here's sort of a central theme woven through it subtly. And that that's what I call a good fucking story. Yeah. Um... I'm just kind of glad that Get Out kind of broke this ground of, all right, cool, we can tell these stories now? Sweet. <laughs> because Get Out's not about atypical racism. It's about very much the the best way to – have you heard of – it's a, it's a common thing in academia and theory and stuff like, stuff like that about this kind of shit. Uh, the, modeled minor, uh, the model minority. No, I don't believe I've heard that term before. Model minority is basically a term and a concept that the minority race has a model version. Like this is, um, this is how an Asian should be. They're good at math. They are hardworking, honor bound people. They're oh, uh, it's 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 basically a nice word for stereotypes. Yeah, it's the nice stereotypes. It's the model minority. You know, black people they're really really fast. It's that kind of shit. Um, that's what Get Out's about a lot, about how, uh, at least within the family and people in the neighborhood of that story, that um, they say they are not racist. They do stuff like vote for Obama and shit. But under but underlying, underlying that whole mentality is they believe they're better than the other person anyway. And it doesn't matter any of this kind of stuff. They just want your body. Because that's the whole point of Get Out is they brainwash you and implant another consciousness. Interesting. Yep. Well, yeah, I think that's pretty much all there is to say on this book. So, um... What do you say we go ahead and head on over to everybody's favorite segment? Fucked up. Fruit facts with Chris. Apples stay afloat in water because they are 25% air. Huh. That explains why dried apples taste like fucking nothing. Because I've been getting into eating dried fruit as snacks as part of my Get Healthy initiative. And I've discovered the only real good dried fruit is bananas. Hey, hey, um, fucking... There's one that's good. Apricots. Apricots are good. I haven't tried apricots yet. I'm, I, I may have to do that. Um, <laughs> dried apricots are pretty smunctious. And I mean, like, uh, coconut and blueberries aren't bad. They just, they feel like they should be mixed in with something else. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had some uh, blueberry pancakes the other day. Fucking delish. Oh, dude, I haven't done that in so long. Blueberry pancakes is like, that's one of those things that I kind of accidentally left in childhood. I need to bring that back. Yeah. Well, we get a lot of fresh produce because we like like five minutes away from a produce stand. Nice. Yeah. Um, and they give me free shit all the time. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, like, today I got, like, three onions, four lemons, a thing of broccoli, and a whole flat of eggs. Well, that's, like, two and a half days worth of meals right there if you play it out right. <laughs> and by that I mean only just eat the raw fruit because I don't know how cooking works. Uh, cooking's cooking. Anyway, you want to find out what we're going to talk about next time? Uh, schnur. Okay. 
So next time on Analytical Fanboys, we will be discussing a Chris suggestion. It's Alive with Brad, Season 1. What the fuck is this shit? Speaking of cooking, um, It's Alive is a YouTube web series uh, created by Bon Appetit, uh, which is a cooking magazine, where Brad basically makes fermented foods. Huh. So he control rots recipes. Interesting. Um, I think in the first season he makes sauerkraut, kimchi, uh, kombucha, a bunch of stuff. It's a bunch of stuff. Well, that'll be interesting. Cause, um, but also, it's not just what he cooks. It's the way they produce the videos are very... Are some of the most fun videos I've ever seen on YouTube. Specifically with the way Brad presents the information. The, camera, the cameraman records the information. And the editor edits the information. Hmm. Because you have Brad, who's riffing and telling jokes all on his own. You have Vinny, the camera guy, recording things in a certain way, or leaving things in, or recording things for a little bit longer than they should um, for comedic effect. And then you have the editor layering other things on top of all of that. So it's like... They put a lot of effort into the videos, which is nice. Well, that's interesting. I'll... I'll... I'll probably be able to get started on that right away tomorrow while I'm editing this, since it's a YouTube show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm actually getting you the fucking playlist right now. Dude, I've already got it up. Yeah, okay, it's, cool. Uh, it's, let me just paste it so we can be sure. It's this thing, isn't it? Yep, yep, yep. That's it. All right. Well, we'll be back in a week or two, depending on other podcasts and scheduling and stuff to talk about it's alive with brad and until then chris why don't you tell the people where in the worldwide net they can find you and what the heck it is you do i make video editorial bullshit things i can be found on youtube at boingo writer i can be found on twitter at boingo <gasps> let me start that over so you can Boing actually hear what oh, i say that's, that's my favorite twitter account boingo <gasps> <laughs> it's at boingo underscore writer god seriously dude you sounded like colossus in the x-men arcade game uh, it's it's link throwing up exactly uh boingo underscore writer is my twitter um uh and you can find my discord server in the description below What's your fucking Instagram? Because you brought that up last time, and then I went looking for it because I, I realized I didn't know you had an Instagram, and then I couldn't find it. I uh, My Insta is boingo underscore writer. Huh. I'm going to search. We're going to do a little experiment. I'm going to search boingo underscore writer on Instagram right now, and we're going to see if I can find it. One, two, three, four. My fifth picture is a selfie with me and Alistair Black. Yep, there the fuck you are. How come I couldn't find it last time? That's weird. Yep. Speaking of that, I have a bunch of pictures uh, for my time at an NXT house show if you want to look at them. Yeah. All right. Uh, is that everything? Um. Correct. All right. Well, in that case, uh, my name is Simeon Scott. I uh, am an online video producer, creator, person thing. I have a website, uh, which just takes you to a playlist of every video I've ever made. That's simeonscott.com. You can uh, support my work through patreon.com slash simeonscott. I've got a Twitter uh, at that simeonscott, and I have an Instagram, which is just... Uh, that underscore Simeon underscore Scott. It's, it's very simple. A lot of brand synergy going on there, if you hadn't noticed. Um, but this is a podcast which is produced by Modular Media, a create a collaborative. What the fuck was the thing again? 
um, cooperative is the most act, apt term because the other ones actually have meanings. It was like a, it was like free C. It was creative, collaborative coalition. A cr- I got it. Collaborative coalition of creators was what we had. Yeah, said. but coalition actually has a direct meaning when it comes to business organization. Oh, because basically a cooperative means that there can be an elected leader. Coalition means that there cannot be an elected leader. I see. Okay. Well, henceforth it shall be known as a collaborative cooperation of creators. Yep. Still say free C. We are we are still um M M free C. Ha 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 ha. Hey, uh, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to the channel by clicking that button down below? If you want to listen to our podcasts and other stuff on the go, there's a Google Drive folder down in the video description. You follow us on Twitter at the Modular Media, and you can subscribe to our subreddit, which is just r slash Modular Media. And uh, I think that's going to do it with the links and things. So we will see you next time when we will be discussing fucking It's Alive with Brad. I forgot the name for a split second there. Anyways, bye!